This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome out along everyone to another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. Of course, it's a weekly roundup of what has happened in League One. However your side fared this weekend, and depending on your mood, it may well be one we're having to try and cheer you up or just simply trying to keep you in a decent mood. We no doubt feel we can do that, whatever you are feeling at this current time. Of course, with the madness and the mania that is the January transfer window, which has come and gone and squads now locked in and sorted till the summer, there was, of course, plenty of new faces and arrivals at clubs across League One over the last month. But no new signings or outgoings from our punditry team. As with me for this episode is Charlie Beeson, uh, die-hard loyal Lincoln City supporter. And speaking of die-hard loyal fans, Stephen Sarson is a Peterborough United supporter. They've extended their deals on this podcast. They can their future to at least the end of the season, at least. Hope all is well, gentlemen. Yeah, really well, thank you. Well, but glad, glad I wasn't sold or released then in the January window. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a reward for good services, Cap, on that. It's been all things League One so far this season. So hopefully keep up the good work, so no pressure there. Um, of course, you already know this. Um, if you are a regular listener, how this podcast works and sort of what the format of it is. You know what I'm going to say as well? If you're listening for the first time, we say welcome along. It's a pleasure that you are listening. And this is an important message. And simply thank you to everyone who has listened and been supportive to our channel and content since we started. Please keep it up and we will keep rolling out more content for you to like and review with hopefully five stars to add to that as well. Let's get this uh, podcast started by talking about one of the front runners for promotion in Portsmouth. They were 4-1 winners yesterday at home to Northampton, dishing out a big victory on a Northampton side who usually are a tough nut to crack. They were tuning up inside uh, 16 minutes, Connor Ogilvy and Marlon Pack scoring two inside Dipney, 20 minutes. It looked like maybe the game might be opened up with uh, Tom McIntyre being sent off for Portsmouth nine minutes into the second half. But Paddy Lane and Callum Lang put Portsmouth falling up despite having one man less. Mark Lennon's beauty late on was not enough for Northampton in a simple consolation. Um, Charlie, obviously, with Portsmouth, it's been sort of quite well known. They've had a bit of a sticky start to 2024. But no doubt a performance like that will maybe just put the confidence back into the fans that maybe they can get over the line. Yeah, absolutely. This was a, a big game for Portsmouth. This was their first home match as well, if I'm not mistaken, since 
that rather embarrassing loss to Leighton Orient. And they needed to make sure that nothing like that happened again. If anything, they needed a result like a 3-0 victory for themselves. Well, they got it, not quite 3-0, but 4-1, one that they, I think they'll be really, really pleased with. Uh, I think there was a couple of big talking points in this game, obviously, from both sides. A couple of really nice goals as well, um, especially, and I, and I know it was a consolation goal, but Mark Leonard's goal for Northampton I was really impressed with. But obviously, that red card for Tom McIntyre on his debut. Now, that's the, the video of that has obviously been going around social media for the past 24 hours, and rightly so. I mean... I'm not going to go into officiating in the EFL too much in this game because I'm sure I'll get onto that when we talk about Lincoln later on. But that was, um, yeah, a bit of an interesting decision, shall we say, to uh, give a red card there. But like I said, this was this was a huge game for Portsmouth. For Northampton, of course, they'd have wanted to get a victory to kind of keep them within kind of touching distance of the playoffs. But I think realistically, they're going to be pretty happy with mid-table obscurity this season. They don't look like they're going up. They certainly don't look like they're going down. So for them, losing away from home at the league leaders isn't really too disappointing. Like I say, Portsmouth needed this victory. They got exactly what they needed. Their fans could be really pleased. And suddenly that gap has opened up again at the top of the league. Can they keep hold of it? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Of course, there are teams sort of behind them with games in hand. Derby got one on them. Bolton have three on them. So it isn't necessarily a guarantee that Portsmouth will be top after all those sides have played sort of catch-up. It is probably expected, actually, that they might drop a place or two. Who knows? Um what do you make of Portsmouth's business in January, Charlie? I mean, obviously, we know with January, it's the fine margins of just getting the finer details, finding that bit of quality to get into the team. I must admit, I thought McIntyre, what, 75 grand was a steal. Unfortunately, we know about Reading's plight at the moment, so obviously they've benefited off that. I think Callum Lang's a really smart piece of business for, for Portsmouth, but he got off to a great start yesterday as well. You know, they added, Miles was, you know, good in spells to Forest Green last year, um, just to name a few. I mean, it looks like on paper it's good business. I mean, certainly Callum Lang delivered. McIntyre didn't, even though it was a bit unfortunate to be sent off. But nonetheless, looks like it's a good business to try and take into for the rest of the season and maybe what they were needing in that team. Yeah, I think you very much summed it up there. This uh, What they needed out of the January window was just to pick up a little bit of depth in certain areas to help get them over the line. And I think that's definitely what they've done. They've made some shrewd business. I mean, bringing in Tom McIntyre, I think is fantastic. He's a great centre-half for this level. And someone who, again, I do just think is going to be able to help push them into sort of those upper echelon of the table and potentially even then win the league if they can. And also Owen Moxon that they brought in from Carlisle. Again, someone who I think is a really solid player for this level. And the midfield is probably where they will have wanted just to get a little bit of extra covering because they've had a couple of sort of shortfalls there in the, from the first half of the season with a couple of small injury spells. So I think that was, again, a really solid piece of business from them late on in January. Callum Lang, look, we know what his quality is. Okay, we, we, we it was spoken about a heck of a lot on last week's podcast, of course, and rightly so, because he, he just get he got going immediately. Uh, and Really, really pleasing to see him do well for them. And again, like like I say, Miles Part Harris, just a real smart piece of business, somebody that they can bring in and just add that extra little depth. And, you know, three of those players were starting yesterday. So it just shows that kind of now that they've got the depth, now that they're able to rotate, obviously they played in midweek and as well and obviously got the victory there. It's really pleasing for Portsmouth fans to be able to see the way that this team is now taking shape. The real good possibility. And I'll be honest, 
I, I don't want to say I wrote them off at all, but I was a little bit worried for them over that kind of festive period in middle of January, especially after that 3-0 home defeat to Leighton Orient, that maybe the wheels were starting to fall off and you know Portsmouth were going to have a repeat of what's happened a few too many times uh, to them when they've been top of the table in League One on Christmas Day. But suddenly, I, I just feel like they're in a really good position. Yes, OK, as you as you mentioned, Matt, they've played more games than everybody else around them. In fact, I think they've played more games than everybody else in the league, full stop. But this point in the season, when it's going to be crunch time, you're going to have Saturday, Tuesday potentially coming up after some of the postponements that we've had over the Christmas period. They'll be pleased just to have the points on the board. Derby, Bolton, they can look at the sort of games in hand and look at, look at it as an opportunity. I think teasers much prefer just to have the points on that league table. Yeah, they certainly, I think, probably will certainly say they would like to be the side at the top and be in chase rather than be in the, the chasers, if you like, you could argue. But with Portsmouth, it certainly does feel like they may be in a better position come January and, of course, for the rest of the season now. And with Northampton, actually, they have suffered a heavy loss to Portsmouth already this season um, when they lost 3-0. The Derby beat them 4-0. They were beaten 4-1 yesterday. So Portsmouth was inflicted too of their three heaviest defeats this season in the away game at Sixfields just before the end of the year and in the first game of February um, for John Rady's side. We move on to another side chasing promotion and uh, Keelan Sarson, I don't think he's going to be too happy talking about his beloved Peterborough. Uh, they went 3-2 uh, down, uh, or sorry, lost 3-2 yesterday to Wigan. Uh, coincidentally, a bit weird actually that it's uh, this statistic. The last team they lost to was Wigan at the DW Stadium. Now, they ended up losing that run to the very same side who they lost to last in League One. Taylor will score, uh, would score twice for Wigan. They were 3-0 up, uh, with Josh McGuinness also scoring in between both of his braces. Uh, Matt Smith was sent off with 14 minutes to go. Two goals in stoppage time from Josh Knight and Ricky J. Jones. Saw Poss threatened to come back, but Wigan managed to upstage Peterborough on home soil. Not many sides have been able to do that this season. Keelan, obviously... It's a first defeat in a very, very long time. I think it's since November, actually, the first loss that Peterborough may have had in the league. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Sucker punch, no doubt. The run was going to end eventually. Um, do you feel that it could be one of those that could have a bit of a spiraling effect? Or do you think that this you know, team, which is certainly different to what we've seen of posh sides in the last couple of years, will just be able to sort of brush over it and just sort of carry on as normal? Um, I think it's one of those where there's a... There's what's good that we have a game on Tuesday night against Exeter away to try and immediately bounce back. But there's no doubt that the defeat at home to Wigan will be one that bruises the ego a little bit, especially when you you look at the stats in the game. To to lose a game and have 25 shots on goal is frankly, you know, criminal. And there's the amount of misses from Ricky Jade Jones and and Joel Randall in the game. But credit to Wigan. Their goalkeeper Tickle made some really great saves. Hughes at the back was was really impressive, and they showed they showed to us what what a clinical team looks like. I think we for their for the opening goal from Wigan, we give Asgard a lot of space in the box to fire home, and it's just it's it's frustrating because I mean I talked to Charlie about it on the on the Stacey West podcast before the Lincoln game. I think Posture simultaneously one of the most dangerous attacking teams in the division, but also bit of an oxymoron we can be very very wasteful at the same time and I think if if we scored the amount of chances we created there in the game against Wigan it would have been a, it would have been a comfortable win but I think we saw it in the Lincoln game 
when teams sit back and we have to go and chase the game or or go and get something it really works against us and when we can got that we got that goal the confidence was sort of sucked out of posh a little bit and then you know to get those two goals in added time you know it's it's too little too late and I know we talked about Portsmouth strengthening in the January transfer window you look at Bolton you know they've got Aaron Collins in and and, and Nathaniel Ogbater you look at Derby they've got Corey Blackett-Taylor and it feels a little bit like the posh transfer business we didn't lose Ronnie Edwards from Mason Clark is is left for Coventry City but was immediately loaned back there wasn't many blows in the outgoings but I don't really think we strengthened enough with the incomings we didn't really get in a replacement for for Peter Chioso staying put at Rotherham and I don't know it it, it feels worrying a little bit the, the alarm bells were ringing slightly after the Lincoln stalemate and losing against, against Wigan, you know, it could have a spiral effect. I think if you don't pick up a result at Exeter on Tuesday, it really starts to look a bit, a bit worrying. Because, yeah, we could start to slide away from those from those automatic promotions places. But at the start of the season, no one expected that really. A playoff push was a minimum really expectation. So maybe we're we're a victim of our own success. But it was a it was a poor poor day at the office. But fair play to Wigan. They they got a good win. Yeah, Sam Tickle's really getting a bit of a reputation, isn't he? He's a real fine goalkeeper in League One. I think he's part of the England youth sides, isn't he? And sort of Charlie Hughes as well is certainly someone who's, I will think, probably going to get a lot of attention. Sorry to say that, Wigan fans. We're not trying to get rid of your players because we'd love to see him in League One um, next year. But it does maybe feel like he might be um, potentially sort of um, on his way out. But as you mentioned there, there is games in hand. I mean, they're only seven points off Portsmouth. So they win those two games in hand. You know, the gap does shrink to one. So it, it does just show, doesn't it, that you know, having that game on Tuesday, you know, it means that they don't have to really stew on it for a long time. They've got to go to a, a team in Exeter who we'll touch on later about their result. Obviously, you won't give too much away if you don't know. But, you know, they look at it and think, yeah, we've got a real good chance to sort of bounce back and just, as I mentioned, sort of in the first question, just try and brush over it and forget about it really quickly, haven't they? Yeah, and I think, as Charlie mentioned, Ports have had a bit of a, a blip in form and then got a confidence-boosting big win against Northampton. And if you... You go away to Exeter and put away, you know, the chances that you missed against Wigan. You know, everything's looking rosy again. I think it would just be be a concern if you if you go away to Exeter, don't pick up a result, and then Portsmouth or or Bolton or Derby can pick up results, and that and that gap or that that gap can't be bridged. But it'll it'll be interesting because. Yeah, at the start of the season, I don't think a lot of posh fans were expecting the automatic promotion spaces. But it'll just be intriguing to see what happens on Tuesday night because we really don't want the the wheels to fall off. <laughs> well, I know your post fans will be certainly open. That isn't the case, but full marks to Wigan, who got a massive victory um, to keep themselves in mid-table. And we move on to Leighton Orient 3, Carlisle 2. It really is getting real bleak now for Carlisle, isn't it? Bottom of the table, um, 30 games played. They've played the most games of anyone um, in the bottom four of League One. Um, Leighton Orient have been one of the form teams of 2024. Uh, they were goal down there. Josh Vela scored his first for Carl Larson signing from Fleetwood. Shaq Ford. It's in really good form for Leighton Orient. Two goals just before the end of the first half put them 2 1 up. Rule Satirio then made it 3 1 for Leighton Orient. And then Carlisle would score late with Sean Maguire from the penalty spot, but it wasn't enough as Carlisle suffered defeat. Um, I think in terms of this game, I mean, Leighton Orient are a side who. I always felt we're going to be a very, very good side at this level. I think Richie Wellens has always had that reputation of 
playing that type of good football. I think Swindon fans didn't see the best of that in Lee Guangxi. Obviously, jumped ship to go to Salford. He had a bit of a scarred time when he was the head coach of Doncaster, where you know it probably was down to a little bit of sort of poor recruitment from his sort of side. I think as to why they sort of didn't really fare well in League One a couple of years ago, and obviously he's not really been able to be overturned since at that football club with sort of the managerial changes they've had, but. You see me, it's got a real settled team already. They haven't made too many changes since they've gone up. I think, you know, it's always quite nice to see when, you know, a manager has taken a team up. They just want to, like, develop the players. They don't want to sort of, you know, bring new ones in or just completely revamp the whole squad. They did go wild in January. Obviously, you know, the the team yesterday, Ethan Galbraith, Shaq Ford, um, were two players that they had bought in. All the rest of the nine, uh, sorry, Ansel Brin, so all... Those three have been brought in. The other eight were part of the side in League Two. And I think that's the real key success for them is they've had that consistency of maintaining those players from League Two. And they do play a really good brand of football. They want to get it on the ground. They want to, you know, be be very productive, very efficient with the ball at their feet. They've got good ball players. They've got, you know, good energy. And Idris Almazuni is that real box-to-box midfielder. Good crosses of the ball. Archibald's got a really good delivery. So Charlie can certainly... Um, Vouch for that was sort of Theo Archibald with his time at sort of Lincoln. They got finishes in their team in Soteriu. Um, and obviously, you know, people waiting in the wings, you know, the likes of sort of Joe Piggott. Um, and they've got useful sort of heads as well in terms of experience. So I do like the look of their team. And, you know, whilst the sort of top six, you know, are starting to really sort of push away, you know, or it could just keep winning, just keep plugging away. You do never know because they are in a really good vein of form. Um, at the moment, of course, Carlisle, we know, did strengthen. They did actually make some decent signings, I think, for, for League One, being the side at the bottom in the basement battle they are, you know, to recruit someone like Georgie Kelly, um, who hasn't seen a lot of football since he sort of moved from Ireland to England to go to Rotherham. I think he's quite a good move. Um, but it just feels like it's going to be difficult for them now. I think, obviously, the big thing for them is defensively. They're starting to leak a few more goals, then it's not really going to paved the way for them, you know, because they're always going to be that team. Yes, they scored two yesterday, but the bulk of them is they're probably going to usually score maybe one in games. And, you know, that that's where that feeling lies. I mean, they scored 26 goals this season. It's not the worst by any means. There are worse sides in terms of attacking numbers, but it does feel like with Carlisle that, you know, they defensively had to be strong first if they are going to win a game because their attack's not really sort of, the you know, going to get them the results or going to get them out of the situation they're in. They've got to try and keep clean sheets more. If that's not happening, that's where I think the struggle um, is going to lie. Speaking of side struggling as well as Cheltenham, they played Wickham yesterday, not in great form themselves, but a much-needed victory for Matt Bloomfield. Big, big boosters. Wickham won 3-1 at the Johnny Rock Stadium. Jack Grimmer, Gareth McCleary um, scoring the goals to put Wickham 2-0 up just before the half-hour mark two of their uh, sort of more loyal players, if you like, you've been there the last couple of years. Gareth McCleary missed the penalty as well for Wickham in the second half. Uh, Curtis Davis would score an own goal that put Wickham 3 0 up before Matty Taylor on his Cheltenham debut, reunited with uh, Darrell Clark for the uh, third time in his career. It wasn't enough as Cheltenham suffered defeat. They're seven points from safety. Now, Charlie, we'll touch on Cheltenham first. We'll go on to Wickham in a minute because it was quite a big game in terms of form. I looked at this and thought maybe Matt Bloomfield may get the sack. We'll touch on that, as I said, later. But for Cheltenham, we knew it was going to be tough with Daryl Clark. He certainly improved them a little bit, but it just feels like now they're going under a real sort of wobble. They were getting rightly praised for sort of the results they were getting at home, but it just feels like now it's 
quite quickly just going the other way and they just seemingly back down to where they were a little bit at a low point. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got to be honest, when I uh, saw this game was coming up this weekend and when I was kind of looking through the table, and this might sound a little bit daft because before the game there was eight points between the two sides, but I actually thought this was a little bit of a six-pointer. This was a huge game for both teams. If Wickham had lost it, suddenly they're getting even closer to those relegation spots. And if Cheltenham had won it, suddenly the chances of survival were looking a little bit less bleak. Obviously, that didn't actually happen for Cheltenham. And um, yeah, look, when, when Daryl Clark came in, he, he somehow managed to turn the team around from their awful, absolutely awful start to the season. I remember uh, Lincoln playing them at the end of September and one of the worst League One sides we have faced in, in a long while. They they just didn't really seem to know what they were doing or what, what their kind of profile uh, of, of the team was. And obviously, we, we know what their uh, goal-scoring woes were like at the start of the season. And then Daryl Clark came in and really, really picked them up. Managed to make make them, obviously, that little bit harder to beat at times and got them scoring, which was considerably better. They picked up some really, really nice wins in there. You know, some against teams near them in the league. And then some not. When you look at the fact that, obviously, they beat Oxford, if I remember correctly, and then they also got a uh, victory against Portsmouth as well. They managed to pick up some really nice wins and even some draws in there. But... Three losses on the bounce now isn't exactly ideal. Now, granted, two of those were against Bolton and Derby, but this loss against Wickham at home against the struggling Wickham side, that's going to hurt for Dara Clark and the Cheltenham fans. I do think they're going to need to pick up again pretty soon because sooner or later, that uh, what, what gaps, what, the, the point gap is about seven points now, if I'm not mistaken. That's only going to get bigger and bigger as time goes on. They've got a couple of big games now away at Burton, away at Cambridge. They're going to want to be picking some points up there before then having two back-to-back home games against Blackpool and Port Vale. Realistically, they're going to have to look at targeting from, what, those four matches? They're going to have to be targeting six points minimum, I think, if they're going to want to be having any chance of climbing out of that relegation zone. It is very much worrying considering the... You know the the way the start of their season was, and then the way they managed to pick up. There was such a kind of hype train on Daryl Clark's Cheltenham Town, but something's really going wrong there. Yeah, and it's unlike Cheltenham under sort of Daryl Clark. When you've seen the highlights this season, sort of the man of the goals, and they look really more open than what they usually are under him against Wickham. Sort of yesterday, who certainly benefited and really did uh, make life certainly uh, difficult yesterday for Cheltenham. Um, and add to their woes. I mean, we'll talk about Wickham now. We'll touch on Matt Bloomfield because, you know, as we know, we know the story of sort of Wickham in the EFL. He's played a massive part of it, of course. He was one of their, I think he's one of their most record appearance holders. Of course, he's a living legend as a player. He was assistant under Gareth Ainsworth. He played until sort of very, very um, sort of old, didn't he? I think towards late last of 30s, didn't he? He's nearly had a year in charge. Obviously, we knew he wasn't going to get judged for the first couple of months because it was not going to be the way he wants to play. They were sort of, at one point, in and around the top 10. They've had a real horrendous run of form. I looked at this yesterday, Charlie, and I thought maybe he could be getting the sack if they lost this game. But, you know, Wickham, if you look at clubs in in League One, probably one of the most fiercely loyal you will have. I mean, Gareth Angel did have a long time at the Wickham, and when it didn't actually necessarily start off right for him, I mean, they nearly did drop out the Football League, what we're talking a decade ago, and he had the success after that, and look what he achieved with them. Um, 
with Wickham now and the Matt Bloomfield, it's not just a win for the team yesterday. It's probably a win massive for him, isn't it? Because it maybe did feel like the writer was a little bit on the wall because Wickham fans certainly know what he was as a player, given he's a legend. But as a manager, that doesn't seem to sound like that's got enough credit in the bank for him. But he needed that win yesterday and now he got it. He certainly did. Like, I'm going to be honest. I uh, I was surprised that uh, Matt Bloomfield lasted, or well, is lasting, if you like. Sorry, because he's not been sacked. <laughs> uh, is lasting as long as he is at Wickham. When you look at sort of their their form, obviously they've only had one win in the league since you know what, what was it? Since like uh, the start of October, and that well before obviously yesterday they'd only picked up one win in the league, and it ju- it just didn't really seem good enough. They didn't seem to have any kind of identity. Um, they their their style of play was still trying to be half. Ainsworth, but also trying to kind of play football with sort of ball at players' feet, and the team wasn't really set up for that. And there was kind of half players that were set up to be playing more Route One football. There was another half of players that were looking to be playing a more expansive, stylish, stylish football, and there just didn't really seem to be any kind of identity. And it looked really worrying for, for Matt Bloomfield in terms of his job security. But they stuck with him and they were able to reap the rewards yesterday. I do think that Cheltenham were a little bit unlucky and maybe Wickham were arguably a little bit lucky. Um, I think especially, you know, early on in that kind of first half an hour of the game, I thought Cheltenham were, were probably the better side. But Wickham managed to go two goals up, like I said, in my opinion, against the run of play. So... I don't think that this is a game where we can suddenly say that things have started to click, no doubt about it. I think these next few matches for, for Matt Bloomfield are, again, pretty big. But they've stuck with him this far. I think as long as relegation continues to, to not necessarily be a massive threat, then I think they'll continue to stick with him until the end of the season and then maybe reassess. Obviously, I, I know what you were sort of saying in terms of sentiment, and things like that, but there's no place for sentimentality when it comes to manager, managers in football. There's that you've got to be able to make a pragmatic approach, and whether that's choosing to keep him because you're trusting in the process, that's great. But just simply keeping them because they played well for you at one point in their career, I don't think that we can really be kind of excusing poor runs of form for that. But I do definitely think that Matt Bloomfield could turn it around. I think he definitely needs time with that Wickham side. This was always going to be a transitional year. Um, but how much patience are the Wickham board going to have with him? Yeah, it is interesting. That's certainly a, a quite a good debate to have, isn't it? Not just in this particular sort of um, situation with Matt Bloomfield and sentimentality, but within football um, in general, but he did change the system up yesterday. I noticed he did go to a back four. They have usually played with a three this season, haven't they? Of course, with wing backs all um, bombing on. Um, so maybe looking at just altering his style a little bit and sort of going to a different direction that maybe wasn't working um, previously. Uh, let's move on to Fleetwood. They got a massive win. How they needed a win. It was overdue, wasn't it, to say the least. And they beat Port Vale 3-0, who really aren't happy over the last sort of 24 plus hours. Um, with the way the team's playing and Andy Cosby, um, the Port Vale head coach. Fleetwood three 0 winners, Jaden Stockley, Rowan Coglin, and Ryan Broom with the three goals that saw Fleetwood get a much needed win, a clean sheet and a first win from the new boss, Charlie Adam as well. Um Keelan, I mean obviously we was on the podcast last week, obviously myself, Chris and Johnny. Even the consensus was that Fleetwood are probably all but gone. Um is that still the case for you? But obviously, you know, they know they need to get wins. I mean, this win probably doesn't change 
a lot of people's opinions and think they are going to stay up. Do you think if they can build that run together, that's when they start to get people talking? Because they can't just have this result in isolation and not bounce off it, can they? They've got to just try and build that run of four, keep going, keep getting the win, because then they might get noticed that maybe they could survive. Yeah, I think this this big win against Port Vale gives them a, a slight glimmer of hope because it was it was getting very, very, very depressing for the Cod Army. That was obviously their their first win in 15. And I think it a positive would be that it piles the pressure on teams like Carlisle, who look all but gone when we're talking about teams that will probably be playing League Two football next season. And I think it's a great win for Fleetwood, but it's a really, really poor result from Port Vale. And you look at the table, I know Port Vale have got two games in hand over Reading, but they're, they're getting precar- precariously sucked in, maybe into a relegation battle. I know they're not very happy with Andy Crosby at the moment, the Valiants. But but going back to the game, it, it was it was a deserved win for Charlie Adam, his first his first in charge. And when you watch the goals, the first goal was, I'd argue, poor defending from a from a Port Vale perspective. They allow Ryan Broom to run through. He unchallenged stings the palms of of Ripley in the in the Vale net, and then they just allow Jaden Stockley to have a free hit to hammer home. And it, it was just it was just a, a poor a poor showing from Port Vale and Fleetwood looked you know for a team that haven't won in so long looked rather, rather confident on the ball. Uh, Bosin Lauer, I think his name is in the middle on loan from Celtic looks a really a, a decent player with bulldozing his way through through at points and Ryan Broom pokes home uh, late on from a, from a corner kick that's well worked and he and he taps home but you look at it. They do need to build results because one result in isolation, one positive result in isolation isn't going to keep you up. When you look at the, the points gap, eight point gap between them and getting out of the drop zone. But it'll be it'll be encouraging because it was getting a little bit disastrous for Fleetwood, chopping and changing managers, a bit bit of a, a dubious decision giving Charlie Adam the job in the first place, arguably, but they they drew away at, at Wickham before this. They were 2-0 up, obviously, in that game and surrendered it due to a red card. And now they get this win. You, you'd hope it would, you know, start to build together some, some good form because if not, and if they go back to square one and lose next game, it, it does look like a, a real uphill battle for them. But there's there's slight green shoots for, for the Cod Army off the back of this one. Yeah, the very next game, they go away to Bristol Rovers on Tuesday night. It's going to be a long journey for themselves um, and uh, the fans who no doubt will be uh, making the long, long journey um, on the uh, Tuesday night uh, is about to come. Speaking of Port Vale, just quickly, um, Keelan, obviously we mentioned that there was a lot of angry, grumbling Port Vale fans. Um, It doesn't look great. I mean, the form that they've been on, I think it's one win they've had in seven in League One. They have gone dangerously close down at the bottom. I mean... You know, that cluster outside of the bottom four. I mean, you know, you look at it between Cambridge and Port Vale. There's six teams involved there. There's a five-point gap. So it takes two wins to be up there. I mean, Exeter were right down there and they shot straight up, didn't they, after two results? I mean, that's what can happen. It can turn around, but it feels like if he gets a couple more losses in the next few weeks, you don't want to say managers will get the sack. That's not fair. Um, And we don't obviously talking about it like that, but you would maybe be a little bit concerned that maybe they might, um, give him the access. I mean, Daryl Clark did get it when they hit a real bad patch of form. Not compared to this, very, very different. But Port Vale have shown that when the form isn't great, they will get rid of you, like most clubs will. Do you maybe worry for Andy Crosby a little bit? 
Yeah, I know we were talking about uh, Matt Bloomfield being under pressure at Wickham. I think you would say the same for Crosby at Port Vale. And if if they don't turn it around, as you mentioned, they sacked Daryl Clark. I think they were in a far better position when they dismissed Clark and that got a few raised eyebrows. I don't think anyone would raise an eyebrow if Crosby was let go of. But, you know, you, you stuck by him until this point. I think some of their January business looks quite promising. They got Daniel uh, Gore on loan from Manchester United. And they, they've they've got a lot of success using that that loan conveyor belt from from the Premier League, obviously with Oli Arblaster recently, who's now gone back to Sheffield United. So it'll be an interesting one. But if they if they if they pick up a good result next game, you know the pressure lifts a bit off off his shoulders. But it'll be certainly one certainly one to watch in the the managerial sack race if Port Vale continue performing poorly. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Let's move on to Shrewsbury. Paul Hurst had his first home game in charge of his second spell. They welcomed Cambridge. and Cambridge, who took all three points, Daniel Udo. Put Shrewsbury 1-0 up in the 12th minute. Two minutes later, Lyle Taylor, he knows where the back of that is, doesn't he? Made it 1-1 and then he scored late, uh, Scored very early in the second half that would seal the deal. Shrewsbury ended the game there with 10 men as Tom Bloxham was sent off. Of course, he spent the first half of this season on loan at League 2. Uh, Morecambe, I said about Neil Harris going in at Cambridge, I said it would be a decent appointment. I think I like sort of the way Neil Harris sort of operates. I think he's always tended to go into... Clubs and he's had to sort of firefight a little bit um, with not so much hard, if you would say, but Mill, he had to um, when he first came in. Had great success there. It was a real shock, obviously, when he left. Gillingham was difficult for him. I thought he was actually a little bit harshly sacked this season in terms of the, the start they made. I think it was more down to style rather than results to, to say why Neil Harris has probably got sacked. But it was a perfect time for him to go in at Cambridge because he, they, they did need to change something. He'd gone a little bit stale on the Mark Bonner, who you can't take away and give a recognition to because the job he'd done to get Cambridge sort of where they were was brilliant. But they just needed that different voice, it feels like. I mean, obviously, you know, they have maybe got a bit more experience. There is a lot in there that was sort of existing, you know, Michael Morrison and Ryan Bennett and people like that. I mean, obviously, Lyle Taylor, I think, is a great bit of business to get on a free transfer in that situation. I mean, obviously, Wickham didn't really get much out of him. Gone to Cambridge and he's thriving there. Um, and obviously as well, they added Macaulay Bond. So 
that's two strikers they've already bought that know the EFL and also have points to prove, which Neil Harris does actually tend to do in terms of getting his recruitment, which is trying to get players back to sort of resurrect themselves, if you like, maybe when they've been a little bit um, sort of not great at a previous club, um, as you'd sort of say. But in terms of Shrewsbury, I mean, obviously, you know, Chris spoke last week when they did beat Northampton. There have been sizable improvements there under Hurst in, in just sort of a very short sort of space of time. Now they look a bit more of a threat attacking-wise. You know, there's certainly more chances sort of, you know, being created. I mean, they probably went back to the old ways yesterday. Didn't really create too much in terms of the XG, um, which was under 0.5, which isn't too great, to be fair. They had a lot of the ball, maybe not quite going anywhere with it. Um, but, of course, they've changed the system. So, obviously, they've gone from a, a, a three to a four at the back now. Maybe playing with, you know, more offensive players in the team, it maybe feels like. So, it will take its time. Through. I don't think they're in any imminent danger. But I think certainly it's been a bit of an underwhelming season for them. The 16th, 21 goals scored in 30 games. It's simply not good enough. It's the joint lowest in the league with Exeter and Cheltenham. And you can understand why they um, are struggling as much. But Cambridge, of course, who were in a real dire bit of form when Neil Harris came in. He's had around sort of six to eight weeks of the job and he's done a very good job. So one of them for that. And of course, they've got to win to continue their decent start under the former Mill and Gillingham boss. Uh, let's move on to Charlton nil, Derby won. But big, big win for Derby. Big loss for Charlton, whose bad run of form continues. I mean, you couldn't get a more worse support in League One at the moment than probably Charlton. Um, they probably argue maybe Carl Hall would probably say something different about that. Um, not going right for Charlton, Charlie, but for Derby, we'll touch on them. I mean, obviously, we know the football with Paul Warren is not great. It's quite draining sometimes for Derby fans. They're seemingly still a bit unhappy, but it's winning football. They're second in the league. Of course, Bolton below them, 1.2 games um, off them in terms of maybe leapfrogging them. But, you know, maybe Derby last year were accused of not finishing off games and not looking pretty and not getting the right result. But they're certainly backing that up now. It's very much... Like it, what it is under Paul Warren at Rotherham. It's probably a, a Paul Warren special that they got yesterday. Yeah, it really was. It wasn't actually uh, the greatest of games of football, as you've sort of alluded to there. I mean, you mentioned actually, funnily enough, XG in uh, for the last game, but this match only had an XG altogether from both sides of just over 1.25 wasn't exactly a spectacle. I mean, Derby with only 0.53 of that wasn't the most enjoyable game, but that doesn't matter because the game management that they were able to show was second to none. And that's exactly what they've needed to do and what they've needed to very much add to their game. We know the quality that Derby County have. We also know the quality that Paul Warren's got as a manager. It's been about kind of trying to fuse the two that I think they struggled with a little bit at the start of the season. But I I think that's really starting to click together now. Paul Warren's definitely getting that kind of game management side of his managerial style into some of those players at Derby County now as well as being able to kind of improve tactically. It's a big win, big win for them. They very much needed to uh, so, well, sort of carry on from that victory at home to Cheltenham last weekend after obviously they'd lost to Reading uh, the midweek before. So this was a victory that they, they sort of needed in a way, which does seem a little bit daft because normally you'd look at Derby versus Charlton and Charlton, there's no sort of pushovers, but 
well, that's not really the way that this season's going for them, is it? But on, on Derby County, another really good victory, another opportunity for them. They're now second in the automatic spots as well with a game in hand on the league leaders. They can't overtake the league leaders if they win that game in hand, but they can go just one point behind. Derby are a, a, a side that I wasn't, I wasn't sure about. I've got to be honest. When I'm kind of sat there discussing with a, a friend of mine about who is going to go up, Derby, I, I never really seem to have in that conversation, and they're they're continuously at the minute proving me why, proving to me why I should. And I understand that some of their fans kind of maybe want a few more extravagant performances. Of course, you do because when you go to pay your money to go watch your football, you want to be able to watch some exciting football. But at the same time, nothing matters. You know, if you've got the choice of watching exciting football or celebrating a win in the terraces at ninety minutes, I'm not sure which one I'd pick. I think I know what the answer would be, and I think I completely agree with you um, on that one. Let's touch on Charlton, obviously. I mean, you can't really say anything, but sort of what a mess, really, that the situation is now. I mean, you know, it's been sort of, you know, this January window was quite a reckless approach, I thought, because they were linked with every sort of player, and it almost just looks like, for me, you know, they could get all these lists of targets and, and, and whatever else, but it's just kind of linking players for, for just sort of the sake of it, really. I mean, you know... They played yesterday at front two of Alfie May and Freddie Ladapo, which, you know, I think you'd have on their own, let alone as a pair. I mean, to get them as a pair is frightening. I mean, they barely created anything really in the game as such. I mean, you know, it's just it's just been a real mess this season. It's sort of been when you're trying to chase promotion, it's all the wrong things about it. I mean, they've obviously let go of two managers, Dean Holden and Michael Appleton, didn't do very, very well and probably didn't really justify why they didn't deserve to be sacked, to be honest. I mean... Can you understand why Charlton have just completely gone off the rails and, and gone off the cliff? I mean, you know, it really is a, a bad time to be a bit of a Charlton fan at the moment, isn't it? Because there's certainly no smiles at that place, that's for sure. No, there really isn't. And I think a lot of a lot of it is sort of the behind the scenes. I, do you know, I, I kind of compare it, and I might get shot down for this, but I kind of compare it a little bit to Manchester United. Because with Manchester United, you look at the squad. The squad's got some real good quality. You look at the managers that they've got in, uh, that they've had in, and the managers have had good reputations. They've been good managers elsewhere. But for whatever reason, all fused together, it just does not work. You kind of bring that into Charleston as well. There's obviously issues behind the scenes that maybe sort of aren't common knowledge to, to sort of all the general fans, including all of us kind of looking in from the outside. So it's really difficult to try and pinpoint exactly what the issue there is. I think I, I wrote an article for the Real EFL last week about actually why Michael Appleton was not hard done by necessarily by Charlton, but why he maybe deserves another job opportunity in League One. Because I think when you just, especially if you just take that Charlton job sort of in isolation, yes, okay, he wasn't great there. He couldn't do the game management side of it that we were talking about, the fact that Derby County were able to improve. They were conceding too many late goals too often, and it was disappointing. But at the same time, there was a real good squad of players there. I, I really thought he was going to do considerably better. Some of those were his players in a way. Some of those players that he'd been able to get a real good tune out of before. You know, look at Teo Eden, for example, Lewis Fiorini in the middle. Uh, Connor Coventry obviously came in in the January window as well. And he just couldn't really get a tune out of them. And you start to think that there's got to be something more that meets the eye at Charlton Athletic and that there has to be. How they go from here, I really don't know. I don't think they're going to go down this season as much as 
you know, there could be a bit of a, an irony in sort of Sharpenoff, I think, getting relegated after they've sacked two managers because they're not doing well enough in the playoff hunt. But I really don't see that happening. I think they've got some real good quality. They'll be able to pick up uh, results. Obviously, Nathan Jones has come in today. The uh, the best manager in Europe, statistically, as he once told all of the media during his time at uh, Southampton. It's uh, it's a real difficult one. And to be fair, it's probably a bit of a poison chalice for uh, Nathan Jones to take. But then at the same time, I think after his spell at Southampton, poison chalice is probably the only cup he could drink out of. I quite like the use of the poison chalice uh, analogy there. I mean, but in terms of Nathan Jones, I mean, it's in this current situation that Charter in, I think it's quite perfect for him because we know with him, he's very mm. passionate. He's very sort of, you know, animated character. You kind of see him on the sidelines. He doesn't stand, he doesn't sit, he doesn't stand still. He's always moving around, up and down, pacing up and down. And, you know, it, you'd probably say it would feel like a coup because he's gone from his last job being in the Premier League to League One, where it was a disaster at Southampton. I think it's well documented that he never really got the players on side. But I think here he will get the respect, he'll command it because of what he achieved with Luton Town. Obviously, it's mm. been, you know, everywhere he's gone outside of Luton, he's pretty much sort of failed, hasn't he, really? Um, but I think he is someone who will put the rocket in their backsides of these child players. I mean, obviously, they clearly need something. They clearly need a new direction of motivation. Um, I can't help but feel with, with him going to Charlton, it's more of a financial maybe package as to why he's sort of there. Now, Charlton, I'm not saying it's sort of you know, oil rich or anything like that, but we know with the history, of course, that we're once the Premier League and things like that. So you obviously do take that into account, but... You know, you, you look at some of the players they have signed, you know, you've got to say they're probably on some good contracts, particularly, you know, if they've signed for Charlton on lengthy deals, which they're not going to not take, given co- compared to some of the other finances in sort of League One clubs. So that's kind of my thoughts on, on Nathan Jones. Do you kind of agree with that? Or maybe is it kind of not just for that, but he's kind of gone in because he sees it as a job where it's quite similar to sort of Luton, where they want to be ambitious, but it's just not working in the short term. Um, I, I probably agree with the first point of those two. I think Nathan Jones, I, I've obviously never never met the bloke. I can't exactly speak too much about his character, but I think in some of his press conferences, uh, both Luton late on and, and I think especially at Southampton, he kind of had this sort of narcissistic, arrogant sort of persona. And part of me thinks that would he really, would his ego allow him to take a League One job if it wasn't bought, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't know, obviously, but part of me thinks that there was a, a good bit of money in there. And look, Charlton are obviously trying to just throw money at the problem, and that think that that'll work, and the money will just stick, and they'll be able to get promoted just by overspending and all of this. And the only problem is, wage cap is potentially going to be coming in very, very soon with a new financial redistribution deal. Some of their players are on a heck of a lot of money, from what I've been told. That's going to be a big, big worry for them. And look at the other clubs that have just thrown money at it in League One before. We had Wigan doing it a couple of years ago. Jesus, Fleetwood are still trying to do it. And look how that's going for them. Throwing money at the problem doesn't solve it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Nathan Jones does as Charlton's head coach. His first game in charge of Charlton will be away to Reading next weekend, of course. And, of course, with Reading's problems at the moment, um, hopefully he'll be hoping to end the run with 12 games that they haven't won in now as Derby got a win yesterday to add to their problems. Daniel Mendes Lang's 31st winning strike put Derby in the lead and of course would hold on to the lead and get them into second 
Uh, it was about all the playoff contenders, Stevenage against Blackpool. And it would be Stevenage who'd get out on top and edge it by a single goal to nil. Jake Forster-Kasky, five minutes from time, scoring a goal, which probably got a bit lucky. I think you could say with the deflection taking it in um, past the Blackpool uh, goalkeeper, uh, Dan Grimshaw. Keenan, I think there's a lot of people who probably would say Stevenage ruffled the most feathers in League One. Certainly some of the content they put out, the Steve Evans sort of, um, call it, I mean, the, the sort of gene the crowd up, if you like, um, at the end of games, and it's been way well clipped, and obviously people are getting on board with it. A lot of people do think they were Stevenage, they're going to fall away. But they're showing they are so, so consistent. I think it's 10 unbeaten at home, and I mean, they've turned the line into a, an absolute fortress, haven't they? I mean, you know, people think that they might fall away, but I just can't see it for me. No, they seem to to always manage to pick up a result at the Lamex. I think they were probably helped by the fact, if you look at the away form table and the home form table, Blackpool, I mean, if, they, if Blackpool just played home games in League One this season, they'd be top of the table. Mm. On their away form, they'd be 16th. So I think that's a an obvious reason why Blackpool are just not, where Stevenage are because I think Blackpool are just far too inconsistent. And in and in this game, in truth, it was probably a an even game, but it, it did border on the scrappy, and that that suits uh, Steve Evans' side, especially at home. You know, watching the highlights back, I think Blackpool definitely had had chances. Albie Morgan, who's been a, a real bright spark for Blackpool this season on three goals, you know, went close with a, a deflected effort, nearly sneaking in the first half. Ollie Norburn as well had a low hard effort that, that nearly went in. But when the game's nil-nil and it's it's edging towards, you know, the the dying minutes, you you, you would favour a Steve Evans side, you know, getting a getting a win. And I think as you mentioned it, I was gonna gonna mention it as well. The Jake Forster uh Kasky winners are definitely a, a fortuitous goal, but Steve Evans won't care. And if if it's a, a fortuitous one nil win or, or a thumping three or four nil win, I think Steve Evans is always going to pump his chest afterwards and and g up the the Lamex crowd and he's certainly a Marmite figure but he's he's still loved in Stevenage parts and you know we're going to touch on the Oxford Reading uh, draw that happened but that played into Stevenage's hands as well because they're they're in sixth and there's always going to be talk I know Stevenage were in and around the the promotion places near the start of the season when when Port Vale and Exeter were doing so well. Obviously, those two teams have completely fallen off the horse, but Stevenage are still in sixth and they're, you know, they're, they're showing why they are there because they're just a very consistent team at home. And if you're a Blackpool fan, you're just, you're ripping your hair out because there's a lot of quality in that Blackpool team, but they just, they seem to get a good result. And then the next, in the next game, they, they pick up a loss or there's always a momentum killer for the, for the Tangerines and, I think Blackpool fans are starting to get a little bit frustrated with Neil Critchley. Not, no, no, not frustrations to the point where they would, you know, they pull the trigger on Critchley whatsoever. But I think they 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 expect more from from their Blackpool team. Yeah, and with Stevenage as well, they could find themselves actually in a real good commanding position to actually be in the top six. I mean, they got two games in hand on Oxford, who sit directly below them in seventh, and they got one. They're one point ahead of them, so they win their two games in hand. Um, on Oxford, then they really have a good chance of actually being not just just inside the plus, but well in it, of course. And they could even sort of close the gap on sort of 
Peterborough, Barnes in Bolton above them. I mean, they're only seven points off the top with two in hand on Derby. So don't maybe rule out Stevenage potentially in the next few weeks. Actually been touted as all match promotion contenders. But was it was all quite big talk given the fact that um, they are just inside the club as it stands. Um, yesterday saw a West Country derby, Exeter against Bristol Rovers. Of course, they only met, what, 11 days or so ago. Exeter won 1-0 away at the Memorial Stadium with a Sonny Cox goal, in which it was a real bad performance from Bristol Rovers. The worst one they probably put in under Matt Taylor. But since then, two wins out of two, and they've managed to get their revenge on Exeter um, via Brandon Aguilera's goal, on loan from Nottingham Forest. His first game in the... Blue and white corners of Bristol Rovers, and he pulls an absolute rabbit out of the hat at a gem. Um, it's certainly Rovers fans behind the goal, absolutely potty. Wonderful finish um, for Aguilera wearing the number 10 shirt. They came, of course, by Aaron Collins leaving for Bolton. So the game yesterday, and I have to say, um, probably, I will say this, I think Rovers did get away with one a little bit yesterday. Exeter did have a lot of good opportunities. Um, the goalkeeper, certainly Jed Ward, was tested more than um, Exeter's um, Viliami Sinisalo. Um, obviously, in the first half, they hit the bar with Vincent Harper's great effort, cracking effort, which clipped the very um, edge of the, the sort of crossbar. Second half, Sonny Cox was denied. Jed Ward made a great save. There was a save from a free kick. I think that he managed to fingertip from a deflection from Reese Cole's effort. Defensively, Rovers were, were, were pretty strong. I think we've not seen enough of those performances this season. I think I'm not the only Rovers fan who will probably say that. I think they've not been in those games where they've not been cute enough to, to get uh, hold on and win. Derby away stands out where they were a couple of minutes away from getting a result, ended up slipping through their fingers. Um, there was a couple of other occasions as well, particularly on the road where they've not been able to get the right result when they've had to be a little bit dirty, a little bit ugly in terms of trying to be really defensive. So that was a real welcome boost. And as well, a clean sheet. I mean, we have had a few issues with the goalkeeping situation. Of course, Matt Cox has been dropped of late. Jed Ward, who's from the academy, has had a loan at Wildstone in the National League. Got good reviews there. They see long-term as him being the Rovers' number one. You can understand that. A local lad, so obviously a lot of the fans love that and really relate to it. And he's been brilliant since he's come in. And obviously really getting the good applause. And he's keeping Matt Cox um, out of the team um, and is someone who I think is, is going to be here for... For a long time, and you know, he's not just here to sort of warm the bench, he will now get his chance, and I think he's certainly earned it. So, to play sort of two games this season and get one clean sheet, um, it's not a bad return at all. Can understand why Exeter to some degree don't score many goals. I mean, they were a little bit unlucky yesterday, as I mentioned, 21 goals they have scored, didn't really create too many of those clear cut efforts. I mean, they did have efforts which the goalkeeper saved, yes, but there wasn't enough of them having efforts in the box. Um, they're a decent side. I think they're more than comfortable and they won't get dragged in to a relegation scrap, I don't think. I think they will pick up more wins than they won't um, towards the back end of the season. But I think moving forward for next year, there is real problems scoring goals. But they did add in January. Mo Ice is a really good acquisition on his day. I think he could be a real good striker in League One. MK Dons fans certainly saw the best and maybe the worst of him um, certainly this season where I think he could pop up with about seven or eight goals. So interesting to see how that develops. But with Exeter, I think it's a little bit frustrating yesterday that they maybe should have got something out of the game. We'll move on to Burton, Neil, Lincoln. We'll bring Charlie back in. No doubt, Charlie, you're going to be feeling happy. Finally, Lincoln have got themselves a victory. It's been long, long overdue. I mean, um, Rico Hackett would score after, of course, Alex Mitchell was sent off in the 29th minute. So there's a lot on your chest there. Think about the referee decision on that one. But, of course, they went to a Burton side who... 
under Martin Patterson. Have had a okay start. Was four points out of a possible nine. But Lincoln, not in great form, did get a win themselves. I mean, Chris was on here last week saying Lincoln had been unlucky not to win. They had two good draws against Derby and Peterborough at home, away. They needed to get a result. They needed a win of something, and they got it. So, Rico Hackett obviously scoring has got Lincoln a win. Got them into 12th now in the table. It was much, much needed, wasn't it, Charlie? Yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, the headlines are Burton, not great. Lincoln, we're fantastic. And uh, the referee, also absolutely shambolic. Um, yeah, look, it was, it was a victory that, to be honest, was coming for Lincoln. It really, really was. We had turned a corner second half, really, against Wickham a few weeks back. That was very much where we started turning the corner. And then a couple of really good performances against Derby and Peterborough. Our squad is looking considerably better than what it was uh, New Year's Day, for example. And that's not even acquisitions made in the January transfer window. That's more just players coming back. We have probably the strongest bench I've seen us field in years. Honestly, the, the bench was incredible. And the starting eleven was obviously better um, which yeah, it was it was really really pleasing. We always knew we were going to turn the corner when we started getting people back, and Skubala got the team playing how he wanted, uh, and and that's exactly what happened. I think if we kind of just take it sort of through the game, obviously the big talking point in the first half was Alex Mitchell sending off. Now I don't know whether either of you have seen this sending off, but Alex Mitchell for the first one, first it was two yellows. For the first yellow, he um goes up to head a ball apparently that's a yellow didn't headbutt the player in the back of the head as far as I'm aware so I don't know what on earth that was um but yellow card then the second one in all fairness to Al you can't be pulling you you can't even be seen to potentially be pulling a defender down when you're on a yellow card but at the same time for me the defender was already falling over it it was neither of them were yellows Uh, the second one potentially a foul the first one definitely not Uh, the refereeing was horrendous all game super inconsistent Uh, I think Burton got eight yellow cards in the match you know astounding in terms of the numbers on that and they were a dirty dirty side but I think if, if we just look at Burton for a second as well they were they were quite disappointing. I was expecting a little bit better. They, they seem to be just playing consistent route, route one football. Like I said, they were they were ruthless. They were nasty in terms of the way they were playing, in terms of the the kind of aggressive style of not even not even with any kind of subtlety of the dark arts. It was just straight up aggression and we're going to take you out sort of thing. Uh, and then I think that well, they're they big big man up top, Heinz. Uh, he. Uh, I, I wasn't impressed at all. Six foot ten, I think he is, and he played like he was a six foot ten lump rather than playing with any kind of finesse when he had the ball at his feet as well. Uh, but Lincoln got the breakthrough in the second half with Rico Hackett, an incredible, incredible goal. It was wasn't some kind of long range thump that you'd see kind of floating around social media, but the way he um, cuts inside on his weaker foot and manages to shoot at the near post absolutely turning the right back inside out I thought was incredible um, and yeah I think it was a really good Lincoln display worthy of the three points and I think the game management as well at the end of the game second to none it's the sort of thing that we've kind of struggled with at certain points but definitely not uh, on Saturday so I was really pleased with that I've got to be honest I, I that was it was more relief celebrating that victory and sorry Burton fans that it had to be you guys but god we needed it 
Well, yeah, you mentioned about sort of the physicality of Burton. I mean, obviously Cambridge certainly found that out because they managed to get a draw with 10 men last week, but mm. they were very, very good at trying to just sort of slow the game down and obviously not be afraid to put the foot in there. And obviously it has repeated itself, but Lincoln have come through it and they've got a victory. A much needed one, and of course, much needed as well for Rico Hackett to score just the third this season um, for the former Portsmouth man. So much needed for him. A welcome boost for him on an individual note. We've got two more games left to do. Uh, it was the two draws yesterday in League One. Both won apiece. Bolton and Barnsley, two sides in the top six. Both going well at the moment. And it was probably not surprised to see it 1-1. Both goals in either half. Re- uh, Devante Cole, but Barnsley won it up inside the fifth minute. He's one of the best strikers at this level, isn't he? Zach Ashworth, one local West Brom, made it 1-1 with Aaron Collins on his debut getting a assist for Bolton. Keenan, probably not a great surprise this was a 1-1 draw. It's probably one that doesn't really show and at this moment in time, you know, who's going to finish above the other one, really, does it? I mean, it's kind of just kept it kind of the same. There's no real momentum built off it for both, really, is there, after this draw? Yeah, no, watching watching the highlights, it was a, a pulsating and back-and-forth contest between two, you know, really good football teams and two teams that are probably, you know, confident, especially Barnsley, who think when I was talked earlier in the season, there was, you know, slight talk, they were inconsistent and they might, you know, fade away and slip out of the playoffs. And they they look a much better team under Neil Collins now. And, you know, they went 1-0 up, you know, after after five minutes, quite, quite a sloppy goal from a Bolton perspective, getting, you know, caught out by a long throw in. But, you know, Devante Cole's always going to tap that in. It's quite an easy finish. And it, it could it could have been two 0 after that. It was a really good breakaway. Quickly after that, and Adam Phillips just places a shot wide. Obviously, he was credited with the assist for the Devante Cole, and he could have had a goal and an assist early on. And I think watching the highlights from a Bolton perspective, they some somewhat invited Barnsley pressure on at points. I mean, passive playing out from the back, and I think Devante Cole could have made it two nil in the in the second half. Hits his shot quite timidly. And I think Bolton had their their goalkeeper to thank, but you know Barnsley didn't kill the game off, and it invited Bolton a, a, to give Bolton a, a way back into the contest. And you know Zach Ashworth, a great diving header to to level the game, and then from then on, you know it, it switched a bit, and Bolton so, suddenly got you know a bit more confidence. And you know Aaron Collins, the the new Bolton boy, you know nearly wins it late on, and then it's a fantastic acrobatic save from from Liam Roberts who's been really great from from a Barnsley perspective this season tips it and I think you know from a Barnsley perspective the, the top two is probably a, an outlandish target they just want to cement a playoff spot whereas Bolton probably do have their eyes firmly set on that on those top two especially with those you know games in hand they've got over Portsmouth maybe could have been annoyed that they possibly didn't win it late on but with the with the general ebb and flow of the contest and how back and forth it was, I think a point will suffice. I know it hurts to say, but Bolton probably looked at posh losing, getting a, a draw with Barnsley as a positive, really. And yeah, it was just a, a really a really good advert for, for League One football. And, and two teams, Bolton especially, will be in around the playoffs, if not the automatic promotion spots. But I think Barnsley's still going under the radar under Neil Collins. They've, they've really done fantastically well recently yeah and it's a very good point I mean obviously it's two you, you actually see the quality that both actually put out before the game in terms of line that's very very good I mean 
you know, you mentioned kind of with Barnsley there, there was a little bit of, you know, maybe there wasn't quite a certain players settled in positions, maybe not sold on them, but now not been many changes. It's a very similar system to how they were under Michael Duff. They're very different to how they play under um, Collins to what they were under sort of Michael Duff. It feels a little bit less long balls, very much sort of trying to keep the ball sort of on the floor a little bit. They want to be a little bit more sort of passing and not just trying to look for diagonals and things like that and, and, and whatnot. But Bolton as well, you know, of course, playing that similar system. So probably a draw, um, the right result and maybe the most expected result that people had in mind. Final game then was the first one that kicked everything off in the League One programme this weekend. Oxford won, Reading won. Of course, they had a bit of a hostile sort of atmosphere when they played early in the season. Um, it was one all that night between Reading and Oxford. It was one all again. Mark Harris put Oxford in front. Kieran Brown's own goal got a point for Reading. Des Buckingham, since he's come in, has probably been someone that Oxford fans not quite sold on. Of course, they love the idea that he's an Oxford lad and an Oxford boy. He was a youth team player and is a fan. Um, they certainly look like a team good going forward, but at the back, I think they are really significantly weak. I mean, I'm just not sold on, if I've got to be honest, I mean, this is, again, just a personal opinion, but look at the four of Negri they played yesterday, Moore, Brown, okay, Greg Lee has been okay for Oxford, certainly scoring goals, which certainly freakish for sort of the position he is, but it just doesn't convince me those two sort of centre-backs. I think, you know, there seems to be a mistake in Brown. I mean, Moore is quite a solid sort of League One player, but I don't think there's a lot of pace there um, in that side of things. I think when they go forward on their day, they're really, really strong. I think Goodrum um, is a top player. Brannigan is always going to be good in League One. Up front, obviously, you know, Mark Harris is starting to score a few more goals now. I'm still not sold on him maybe getting your 20 goals a season. So there is good players behind him. They're always capable of scoring goals. I think they added really well to what they had going forward up the pitch. But I think behind them, they needed to add maybe something there, which they didn't necessarily do. And I think they might have missed a bit of a trick there. But I do maybe think that position in the playoffs isn't as secure as maybe what I thought it was potentially under Liam Manning. But on the, on the, the, the side of Redden, I mean... They had a bit of a horrible sort of window, didn't they? They only brought in, I think, a, a small amount of players. Lost several senior ones. Tom McIntyre's gone. Nelson Abbey's gone. Um, Tom Ems is gone. Then come back on loan from Luton. They need to sort of make money on assets. They did keep Sam Smith and Harvey Nibs, who were both interest of League One clubs. It was reported on deadline day. So they confirmed that they wanted to stay at the club in the short term. But they're fighting. They've given themselves a bit of a punch's chance. It's not ideal. That they are two points off Port Vale, but they have two games in hand on them. But they're getting draws. That they're, they're, they're staying in games, you know. They're going behind. They're fighting back. There's a real good spirit about Reading. There's a real sort of mentality against the odds, against the sort of world at the moment. I think it's been instilled in those players. It's really sort of, you know, coming through. They've had some decent draws. I mean, they drew them all in at home, beating Derby, drew Oxford. So things are seemingly a little bit more on the up than they are for Reading which still gives him a real good chance of surviving. But if Port Vale do win those two games in hand, it really is going to knock the stuffing out of them as the gap could really go and rise for not just being two points or two games, but potentially could go to eight or even maybe uh, a bigger lead than the two uh, that they have on them in 20th place. So that's it for another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. My thanks as ever to my guests, who of course provided some wonderful analysis in Charlie Beeson and... If you like your League Two football and you want your League Two fix, uh, why not give a listen to our Real EFL League Two podcast. Great content always put out. And of course, Charlie, who's a regular here, also plays a big, big part in the League Two podcast itself. 
Have a great rest of your week. Of course, there is midweek games to come as well for some sides, but we'll be back with you next weekend and, of course, bring you another fix of League One football. And as I mentioned, we wish you have a lovely week. Take care and we'll see you again soon. Bye. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.